if you are new to Colossae, uh, my name's Steve. I help out around here. Um, our preaching pastor and lead pastor, Bucky, is out of town on vacation, getting some time to rest with his family, so he's coming back from Montana tonight. So, good news, if you hate me, he's up next week, so here we go. Um, what is your biggest fear? What is it? Anybody want to share? What's their biggest fear? This is church, we don't judge you, it's fine, could be spiders, could be heights, whatever. Biggest fear, any takers? Yes. Losing loved ones. Okay, that's a major one. Okay? Who else? Biggest fear. All of you are not afraid. Public speaking. Okay, cool. Yes. What is it? Drowning. Okay, cool. So I did a little research on the internet, which may or may not be true, which all of us kind of know that. However, when I did some research, do you guys remember that show Fear Factor? Like, does anybody remember Fear Factor? Okay, that show was legit. Literally, you'd get in a box like screaming cockroaches, like you have to lay in there for five minutes and you get thousands of dollars. Leave it to Americans to make really crappy TV. Um, But statistically speaking, Americans, from a couple of surveys, have three biggest fears. The first, or sorry, number three, we'll go backwards, is bugs. So apparently we don't like bugs. Second, heights, which is normal. But literally, America's worst fear is public speaking. Which is crazy, right? All of you are so scared for me right now, but I feel comfortable. This is great. All of you are nervous, but I'm feeling fine. So everybody relax. I'm not afraid of public speaking, but we're cool. Tonight, though, we are talking about anxiety. As we go through our followers series, um, anxiety is something that all of us can relate to. And I've come to found as I've grown older that you only can experience more of it as you age, right? There's more things to worry about. There's more things to be concerned about. And yet, when we look at what Jesus says about anxiety, it may surprise us. You know, the follower series, this logo we have, oftentimes what Jesus is trying to do with his followers is we think we're living right side up, when actually we may be living right side down, or upside down, whatever the one that is. But the goal of tonight is to take a look at anxiety, because statistically speaking, too, I did a little internet research. Americans are actually some of the most anxious people on the planet. There was a New York Times interview last year Um, from a gal, and she entitled her interview, The Anxious Americans, where she went on to report that one in five people have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. You know, Americans spend more than $2 billion every year on anti-anxiety medication. You know, college students are considered to be some of the most stressed people ever, and there's a reason. You're accruing debt, you're going to figure out how you're going to pay this thing off. Like, it's a big deal. But Jesus has something to say about us in the midst of our anxiety. So if you have your Bible, grab it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start off in verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen behind me. So here it goes. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... 
will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, as we read the Bible, there's a lot of literary tools that we need to look at in order to understand it properly. Um, One of the words is that whenever you see the word therefore, you always have to ask the cheesy question, what's the therefore? Therefore. So as we look back last week and remember last week, Jesus was telling us that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve God or money. It's just impossible. You cannot be able to serve faithfully two masters. They're going to demand different things from you, and yet the reality is many of us do live in that tension. So this is what Jesus is referring back to when he says the word therefore. So he gives his first command of many commands in this text. As you remember in the Follower series in chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you have no shot to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then we, we learn that we have a new righteousness. Christ has given us a new righteousness so that we can live in new reality with God. So then in chapter 6, after he spends time in chapter 5 redefining the law, chapter 6 he talks about practicing out our righteousness. And he says, beware about practicing your righteousness like the scribes and Pharisees. So we've been going through what it looks like to practice out our righteousness. And tonight he's going to continue in his commanding tone, not just assuming we know something like the law or assuming that we're actually doing these practices of righteousness like fasting or prayer or whatever, but he's going to continue to command his followers to do specific things. So as we read the text tonight, let's be reminded that Jesus commands us to do something and we have to respond. So the first command he says, therefore do not be anxious about your life. So he continues this commanding thing, and he he talks about their anxieties in their day, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what clothes they're going to put on. You see, this was an agrarian context. This was a rural context. So for them, everybody had a farm. It wasn't like they were able to go to Albertsons and buy their groceries. For them, their reality was their farm. So when they were worried about what they were eating, they were looking outside in the back of their own cows or chickens and saying, hey, this is my reality. I have to figure out how to take care of my family. But Jesus says something interesting that I found interesting as I was reading and studying this text. He says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's saying, guys, the anxieties that you feel about your life right now, there's more to life than what you're currently focused on. Your life should not be made up of worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, those regular anxieties that these people had. Your life needs to be focused on something greater. Life is more than the food we eat, right? We don't wake up and just wait, live for that next meal. There's more things for us to do. We don't wait till we have extra money so we can go shopping and get that next clothing purchase. There's something more for us to do. So life is more than those things. But in the agrarian context, not for these people. So when Jesus is talking about their anxieties, they're they're literally saying, hey, Jesus, this is what I worry about, bud. Maybe not in our context today, but for there. They literally worried about feeding their families. You know, for them, their trade jobs were their entire lives. So when Jesus asks a question for us, we're like, yeah, we're not going to worry about food or clothing because that's kind of a normal American thing. But for them, it mattered. For them, this is what they really worried about. So he gives this illustration for their worries. He says, consider the birds of the air. This is where he addresses their anxieties about the food. He says, birds don't sow seeds in the ground. You know, birds don't reap. Birds don't have storehouses where they take all their grain and store it for when there's a famine or when there's, you know, not a really fruitful season with their crops. And yet, what does he say? He says that God feeds them. Birds literally do none of the work and they get fed. 
Again, this may not seem huge to us, but for them, in an agrarian context, they were worried about food and clothing for their kids. And here's the kicker, Jesus says. People are more valuable than birds. And then he asks this question, a rhetorical question that most of us would say no to. Can you add more hours to your life the more that you're anxious? No. Medically speaking, you can actually lose years of your life because of the anxiety. It can cause arthritis. There's medical things that happen because of stress and worry and anxiety in our lives. So the simple answer is that no, it can't, but Jesus, that's not my reality. It's like when you read this, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Thanks, Jesus. That's helpful. I'm anxious about a lot of things. What do you mean? How, how do I, I'm supposed to live out my righteousness with this anxiety? Again, he knew the anxieties of the people. If seed doesn't get into the ground, if, if water doesn't come, there's not going to be enough food. There's not going to be enough to eat. There's not going to be able, enough to have more children and feed my family and take care of my family, Jesus. This is a big deal. But Jesus says you're not going to actually gain anything from worry at all. So he continues. He uses another analogy about clothing. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? He uses the lilies as the example. So he compares the beauty of the flowers to the beauty of the human body. And he says, guys, look at how beautiful these flowers are. Look at this grass that all of your cattle and all of your livestock get to eat. It's all provided by God. And yet, here's the crazy thing. Not one of those things is as rich as Solomon was, right? Solomon over history has been known as the richest man alive. Beats Donald Trump, beats Rockefeller, beats those guys. Solomon was worth trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars if there was an assessment that was done. And he says, guys, these lilies have more than King Solomon has. These lilies have more beauty and more posture than anything that King Solomon has. And again, what do they do? They do nothing. Seed gets thrown on the ground, water grows them, and they show up. And again, Jesus is emphasizing to these people, if God cares about the beauty of flowers, are not you more valuable than they? He reveals this practical reality. They don't have much faith in God when it comes to their practical living. He says, oh, you of little faith. They, they don't have that natural trust in God for who he is and what he's done for them. So in light of this text, the overall command for followers is to not live in an anxious state. Easier said than done, right? But what's the reason? Because God cares for us. You know, when we started this church uh, back in April, we were teaching through the Genesis series. And as we remember in the very beginning of Genesis, God says that his creation are his crown. And people specifically are the crown of his creation. So everything that God has made is beautiful and lovely and wonderful, and yet there's something incredibly intrinsically unique about people because we're made in his image and likeness. So again, Jesus is trying to tell these people, guys, don't you remember? Don't you remember when you grew up and studied the scriptures in synagogue? Don't you remember that you are of more valuable than they? Don't you remember that you are my people? Don't you remember that God has taken care of the Israelites for years and years and years and years, and you're anxious about the little things in life? You know, he's reminding the audience that they're beautiful in God's sight. They're more important than those things. You know, if money was their master, which for many of them, in reality, it was, if money is their idol, 
they're going to be anxious. They're going to be worried. They're going to be stressed about what's coming next. You know, remember from last week, money's a wicked master. The more you have, the less you actually enjoy it. The more you have, the more you want. That's the reality of when money is your master. But yet, Jesus just doesn't stop there. That's not his, his first command. He actually has three commands in this text. So then he's going to give the second command. And here's the second command in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Asking these things. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So here's what's interesting. He commands them again, but he commands them the same thing. He says, hey, the first command I'm going to give you is, hey, don't be anxious about your life. And then Jesus comes in with the second command. Don't be anxious about your life. Are you catching a pattern? (laughs) Don't be anxious about your life. And then he says the same thing. You know, now he moves from kind of like the internal uh, processes of people having those internal worries to those external questions, saying, God, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? What's going to happen, God? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? And here's the reason. Every other person in society is supposed to be living differently than Christians. He says, actually, these are the worries that Gentiles have. These are the people who are non-believers. These are the people that should, should worry. Those are the ones that are supposed to have worry in their minds and in their hearts because they're not God's people. But as God's people, don't you remember that life is more than your simple worries of the day? There's something greater that followers are supposed to use their life for, not worrying about the next meal, not worrying about what's coming. The Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. You see, he's not unaware, as many of them think he may be. That may be the reality in our own life, right? We know that God loves us, but are we remembering and are we aware of the fact that God literally does that he literally takes care of our needs. So why, why aren't they supposed to be anxious? What's the point? Why aren't they supposed to be anxious? Because they're supposed to be seeking something else. The kingdom of God is what they're supposed to be seeking. You know, the word for anxiety here is like to take thought, and, and it really comes from this word that means a distraction. So really, Jesus is trying to say we live in an anxious state, And when we live in that state, we aren't free to focus on the kingdom of God. We're not free to focus on his righteousness and living that out in this world. We're not focused on the kingdom. Rather, we're focused on our anxieties. You see, this is the other command that Jesus gives in this text. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to be pursuing as believers. This is where their focus needs to be. This is where they're supposed to give all of their pursuits, all of their energy, all of their passions for building the kingdom of God. And, you know, Jesus gives us this course correction, but yet in the last verse, he gives them another command another time. So verse 34, it says this, Therefore, you know it, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He commands them again for the third time, Hey, don't be anxious. This time in the context that anxiety, he's saying, like, there's anxiety that's in the future. You know, first off, he says, don't be anxious because you have internal struggles that you feel, right? Second off, he says, don't be anxious as you, as you mouth the external and say, hey, I'm really anxious about this. You're expressing it with your words. And he says, hey, don't be anxious about the future either because tomorrow has enough anxieties for itself. I feel like this is like my mom 
all over again, right? This is when Jesus gets into mom mode. It's like, hey, got a lot to worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. Focus on today. And the reality is, for us, as we look at this text, many of you can be saying, Steve, that's great, but that's not helpful. You can, you can say, hey, this is what God's word says. You know, don't live in anxiety. But the reality is, Steve, I have a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of things I care about. There's a lot of things that I value. So, of course, I'm going to be worried about those things because that's the reality of my life. But what's beautiful about Jesus is that Jesus not only cares about our hearts, he cares that our hearts are in the right place so the right actions can follow. And so tonight, that's the text of Scripture. But I want to spend some time thinking about our context here and now. There's, there's four commands. Three of them are all the same do not be anxious. The fourth one says, seek first the kingdom of God. So again, as you read the Bible, if there's repetition, 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 the author is trying to let you know something very, very, very important. So in nine verses, Jesus says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Why? Because your father cares for you, because your father cares for you, because your father cares for you. And Jesus does this because oftentimes we forget, right? We forget as God's people. We're so much like Israel. We, we, we have, you know, God providing food in the morning and a pillar of fire by night that we can follow him. And yet, what did Israel do? God, we want to go back to Egypt. There's pineapples there. There's good houses there. There's stuff for us to do there. Wait, you were enslaved. I don't care. That's better than this. And for many of us, we can forget as well on how good God has been to us. You see, this is the perfect example for the American audience because people haven't changed. Whether you are a first century Jew or a 21st century American, it's the same thing. We're broken people in need of a Savior. So this message tonight needs to hit home to our hearts. It needs to hit home to the reality that, hey, we deal with stress, we deal with anxiety, so what are we supposed to do? Isn't there something more than God just saying, hey, don't be anxious, and us saying, hey, got it. Let's pray. Let's go eat some food. There's more than this. So tonight, in closing, there's kind of four thoughts I want to share with you. And and first, when we look at anxiety, anxiety really equals fear. So when we, we, we use words like this all the time. I don't know if you do this, but I do this. Like I say, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. I'm just trying to make my anger look nicer. You know what I'm saying? So for us, when we say, you know, I, I am so stressed out. I am so anxious. I am so worried. We don't walk up and go, I am just strictly fearful right now. We don't do that. Because in our culture, what we do is we, we, we try to, to, to take our feelings and try to make them sound more appropriate instead of being honest. So when it comes to anxiety, the issue here is that Jesus says, don't be fearful. What's crazy is that in the, throughout the commands in the Bible, God has one command that's repeated over 70 times. This is the command in the entire Bible. If you were to get one thing tonight, one command from God the Trinity, from Genesis to Revelation, the one command that's repeated over 70 times is, do not fear. That's the command from God. Do not fear. So when we're anxious, the reality is, you and I need to be honest enough and say, I'm not just anxious. 
I'm really fearful right now. I'm really fearful about what's going on in my life. That's the first thought. The the second thought is this, is that fear consumes our focus. You know, fear doesn't go away, does it? The older you get, there just seems to be more and more and more of it that you can accrue, just like you're accruing money in your 401k. It just keeps showing up. There's more and more opportunities. So when you're fearful, have you ever felt paralyzed? Like, I feel like for me, when I get fearful, I just feel like I'm so stuck. Like, I don't know what to do. And in the midst of all this, when I'm fearful, I'm like you. I don't just immediately run to God and say, God, I'm really sorry that I'm fearful right now. Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit that I cannot be fearful? I I stress out my head. Things are freaking out. If you're anything like me, there's a lot of freak out happening all the time. This week has literally been one of the most anxious weeks of my life. And this is like God's cruel joke on my life because he knew I was preaching tonight. You know, like he's like, hey, you're preaching on anxiety. So let's just give Steve a lot of things to work through this week. So he has something to say. You know, I was telling Eddie and Laura at community group on Wednesday where it's like Monday and Tuesday just sucked for me. Like I was just so stressed out. And you know what it did? It totally consumed me. I had work at Colossae on Monday. On Tuesdays, I'm at Starbucks. So I'm literally making Frappuccinos going, I am so stressed out right now. Not about the line of people because they're all going to get their coffee, but like my life, I'm so stressed out about my life. It consumed my focus. But isn't that what fear does? It just totally takes the steering wheel of life and just slowly drifts it a bit. And if we don't catch it early, if we're not honest enough with our emotions, we, we get to a point where we're so veered off course that we don't even know how we got there. But in reality, it's because of the fear that's ruling our lives. You know, we ask ourselves questions like, did I say something wrong? Like, I don't know about you, but I say stupid stuff all the time. Peter's my favorite dude in the Bible because he just keeps messing up, and so I just follow his example. It's great. So I just keep saying stupid things, and I'm like, there's just times where I go, did I offend somebody by what I said? Like, I'm stressing out by that, right? Just think about my kids. I'm like, oh, man, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and God has entrusted me to raise them. That's going to go well. <laughs> you know, you get stressed like that. Like, for me, like, I just, I feel this. Like, how am I going to lead my family? Like, God says, like, as a man, as a husband, I have a responsibility to lead my family even when I don't know what's going to happen. You know how crazy that is for your mind to go, okay, God, I'm going to lead. I don't know where I'm going. Can you tell me where we're going so I can actually lead? God, am I, am I going to have enough money to pay for the mortgage? Are, are we putting enough away for savings? Are we doing the right things at our job? Like these are the anxieties and fears of our life. And what does it do? It consumes us. It makes us so self-centered and so self-focused. And you know what that does? It just renders our energies useless. We play mental gymnastics all day long, and we're exhausted. All the while forgetting that as Christians, we've been giving this command in this text to not fear. Why? Because we have another pursuit. We have to seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will come to us in his righteousness. That's what our pursuit is. And yet when we're fearful, we just get consumed. But what it does is it actually reveals the reality of what we believe about God. So another thought, fear reveals our theology. So 
Uh, many of you know my wife, Nadia. Many of you don't. Uh, but Nadia is a gift to me. I love that woman. She is my best counselor. She is my best friend. When I am just wigging out in life, I have a wife who genuinely knows how to ask me the right questions and help me search my heart. What's cool about that is that I see the Spirit of God working in her life as a counselor to help me change. And that is such a gift. Because what, what, what Nadia does is she, she, she asks this question of me. Steve, what are you believing about God that isn't true right now? Like, what, what are you thinking about that's causing so much stress? What are you thinking about that's causing all this fear? And what it does is it causes my heart to get checked and say, God, I'm not believing who you actually reveal yourself to be. The beauty of the Bible is that God has revealed himself. We don't have to make him up. We actually just get to read about him. And what God says is that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sovereign, over evil, over everything. God is in control. But if you're like me, I like to take that control back. I like to take that back in my life and say, God, I actually don't trust you. I don't. When we're consumed by fear again and again and again, we forget that we have a heavenly Father who's not fearful. Isn't that beautiful? Like, we have a God who genuinely doesn't fear anything. He knows all things. In fact, the beauty of theology is that you learn stuff about God that you don't even know you learn. And one of the things that I was taught is that God knows everything so much that he knows what's actually going to happen, but he also knows all the possibilities of what could. And God has zero fear in and of himself. So what fear does is that we, it causes us to lose our focus, causes us to be consumed, and it causes us to reveal our theology a bit, that we actually really don't trust God. You know, I forget that God promises to take care of me. I forget that when God calls me to lead my family, he's actually just calling me to follow him. So as I follow him, I can actually lead my family. But if I look inward, if I look at myself, I go, God, I am not qualified to lead my family. You know the, what's going on inside of my head. Like, you know how many commandments I've broken just today. Like, you know that reality, God, okay? And yet, you tell me that I can lead. First John says, perfect love casts out fear. But yet, for many of us as believers, that's not our operating reality. We don't wake up and go, oh, God is totally in control. If you're anything like me, I wake up and go, oh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. So what should be our response then, theologically speaking? Like how, if we believe something wrong about God, what are we to do? Especially when it comes to this issue of anxiety. Here's the deal. When we look at anxiety, we actually don't like to call it sin when God does If anxiety is fear and God constantly tells us not to fear, the most command in Scripture is that, and yet we continue to choose to live in fear, we are living in sin against God. You know what's crazy about that? It's the same thing. We do the same thing, right? We go, okay, cool. Uh, I am not anxious. I'm, I'm not fearful. I'm anxious. You know, I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. God says you don't, you don't fix your problem by resting more or eating better or breathing and counting to 10. Like, you fix your problems through repentance. Like, repentance is actually the road to recovery. John Stott wrote a great 
80-page book, super small, read it. It's called Baptism in Fullness. And he says that for the believer, they're supposed to have fullness of the Holy Spirit. But the only way that can happen is if we live in a practice of repentance. But see, what the Scriptures does here is that it literally tells us that anxiety is sinful. As God's people, we don't need to live in anxiety. Now again, that's not the reality of our lives. But we have a God of grace who loves us and desires us to change. So don't see this as God being angry and telling you what to do. See this as God, as your Father, grabbing your hand and walking you to where you need to go. It's sin that needs to be repented of. When we, when we treat anxiety like it's a disorder or anxiety like it's just emotion, we forget that God is in control. And that God desires for us to repent of our anxiety so that we can be freed up for what's next. One of the most famous verses in John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples in a crazy moment. They're at the Last Supper. Jesus is about to go on the cross. And he says, in this world you will have trouble. So Jesus acknowledges there's a lot to be anxious about, okay? But take heart. What does he say? For I've overcome the world. Oftentimes in the church, we see ourselves as sinners rather than saints. Paul all the time writes to the New Testament church and says, hey, what's up, sinners? Never says that. He says, hey, what's up, saints? Dearly loved by God. What does that mean? We have the spirit of God to put, death in, or put sin to death in our life so that we might walk in his fullness. So here's the beauty of this. When Jesus says fear not, we can actually live that way. God does not command us to do something that we are unable to do. God commands us because he's given us a spirit of God that we can live out this new life. And you see, we, we, we have to be people who repent of our fears because there's a greater focus that we have to remember. That final command is that as Christians, like, we need to seek the kingdom of God above all else. So, so what does that mean for us to seek the kingdom of God? What does it mean? I mean, this is like a huge lofty phrase. What does that actually look like in my life in Sherwood, Tualatin, Wilsonville, Newburgh, wherever you are? What does this look like for me to pursue the kingdom of God? Simply put this, the kingdom of God is seeing his rule and reign come to fruition in every area of life. In every area. That means whether it's in your marriage, God is king over your marriage. If it's in your workplace, God is king over your workplace. If it's in your children, God is king over how you love and serve your kids. If there's injustice in the world, which there's a lot of, Christians are called to show the justice of God. Why? Because God hates evil and loves people, and we're seeing the kingdom of God advance when we do that. When there's wrongs that need to be righted in this world and we have an opportunity as God's people to do it, what we are doing is walking in and saying, hey, here's the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. You know, there's people in this world who do not worship Jesus. There's neighbors that you have who hate God. They may say they're religious. They may say they're spiritual. In the Pacific Northwest, I mean, that just means whatever. That literally just means you haven't decided yet. So that's what it means up here. But there's people who hate God. God next to you. They may not say it, but they live like it. Seeing the kingdom of God advances you and I as missionaries in this context say, I'm going to be bold. I'm not going to care about what you think about me, but can I tell you about Jesus? 
Can I tell you about the good news that Jesus came to die and rise that you might have life? And when we do that, we're advancing the kingdom of God because why does God have a kingdom? Because there's people he rules over, right? And there's more and more and more. Revelation says that there's going to be every tribe and tongue and nation before the throne of God. Why? Because God's people engage in the mission of God, engage in the kingdom of God, and pursue those who are lost from him. If there's poor and needy in our midst, Christians are the ones who give to the poor and the needy in order to show them that they are not just broken, helpless people, but that they're made in the image and likeness of God. And when they are made in the image and likeness of God, they have value. They have worth. Thus, we are establishing the kingdom of God. So when, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, we have a mandate. This is where our focus needs to be. How am I seeking the kingdom first in my marriage? in my parenting, in my spending, in my political views, in my workplace. The last one in my workplace, I think, is the most interesting for me. Here's the reason. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, he's not at some cool, hip conference talking to pastors. He's actually talking to the blue-collar workers of the day. So when he says, seek first the kingdom, he's not saying, hey, pastors, ministers, when you preach the Bible, you know, when you lead worship, when you pray, great, you're seeking first the kingdom of God. He says, you seek first the kingdom of God to those who are in their context right now. He's talking to the tradesmen, the housewives, the children. That's who Jesus is talking to. So what that means is that you and I have this reality, that as God's people, we've been given God's mission to join him in that. So let's make today a day where all of us, regardless of our age, say, God, I'm going to choose to seek you first. I'm going to choose to take my eyes off of what's temporal and what's here and remind myself of the eternal reality that's going on. And why do we live this way? Because God cares for us. Maybe this week in your time with the Lord, you journal and you just sit back and just pause with a pen and just try to reflect and write down what God has done for you. And then when times get tough, you go back to that and say, no, God, we don't have enough money this month. Okay, do you remember a year and a half ago when somebody in the church walked up to us and gave us a check, and I don't know who they were, and I've never seen them again, but that was enough to pay our rent? God cares for you. You see, in the church, this is my biggest fear, is that we continue to live as fearful people and not step out into the mission that God has given us. Guys, we have a calling from God. We have a calling from God to seek people, to bring his kingdom into this world. And the reality is, you can do it. You are a minister of the gospel, not just me. You have the Holy Spirit to talk about Jesus, to see people come to faith in Jesus, to counsel them, to love Jesus, to serve them so that they might know who Jesus is. That's your calling. And tonight, this is what Jesus wants to remind us. Let's call anxiety what it is. Let's call it sin. You know what's beautiful in the church? We all have sin, but we never talk about it. So I'll, we'll just, look, as long as I'm around, I will publicly confess sin as much as possible so you feel comfortable to publicly confess your sin, okay? We'll do that. whoop de doo we're all sinners, but we don't talk about it because we're great liars in the church, okay? That's kind of who we are. But this is the reality. We cannot live in fear anymore. Let's allow the love of Christ, the, the Father's love, to consume us so that we don't lose our focus. Let's grow in our theology together to remember that God is loving at all times, even in the worst of evils. God is loving and he's with us. And let's grow together in our focus so that our focus can be 
on the kingdom of God advancing. We're at a beautiful point in Sherwood. We are like 25 weeks into a church plant. And there is, in Sherwood, there's like 20,000 people. You know, the reality is so many people are lost and so many people need Jesus. And as long as I'm around, I want to keep reminding us week after week, God will use you. He will. He will use you to see people meet Jesus. He will use you to be a missionary, and he will use you to seek the kingdom first. But the question is, are we going to respond in faith and do it, or are we going to continue to live in sinful fear and be rendered useless? That's our choice. So we're going to pray, we're going to sing, and uh, we'll do that.